According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again in Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19, and last week we were looking at verse 10. We'll be moving on this morning to verses 11, 12, 13, 14. We'll see how far we can get with it. But Proverbs chapter 19. Verse 10 says, Luxury is not fitting for a fool, much less for a slave to rule over princes. And uh, hopefully we've been chewing on that. I gave you some things to think about in the, uh, in the last week and not sure what you might have thought about or what you might have thunk or what you might have uh, concluded or how the uh, prayers might have gone, but different things we can consider related to these, uh, these concepts. Before we get started this morning, remember God is spirit. He must be worshipped in spirit and in truth in preparation for the study of the Word of God. Let's take a moment for silent prayer to quiet our hearts, to... Uh, confess any sin that needs to be dealt with, to humble ourselves before the truth of God's Word. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we do come before you this morning thankful for the Word of God and for the blessing that we have to assemble together. We thank you for this church family where the Bible is number one priority. And I pray that as we study this morning, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, and soften our hearts to receive the word implanted. I thank you and I praise you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, and so last week's message really centered on this concept in verse 10 related to different kind of people in society. And uh, we have them mentioned here related to the fool and uh, the luxurious lifestyle and then uh, slaves and princes that are mentioned there in in verse 10. So um, let me get my slideshow up to where we were dealing with. It should be right there. Proverbs describes fitting lifestyles and social orders. Lifestyles and social orders. And just at face value, even without looking at vocabulary, and even without digging in and finding parallel passages or uh, searching for uh, for other things, we realize on the on the face value of what this verse is saying, luxury is not fitting. That's proper, appropriate. It's it's just wrong for the fool to live the life of luxury. And you know, depending on who was saying such a thing, I might you know blow it off, or I might disagree with them. Um, you know, if if there's we have the discussions today in our political climate and our culture. We have uh, different discussions about different things, and, and people always have an opinion about what's right and what's not right, uh, and they always seem to, and some of it's, some of it's produced by envy or it's uh, motivated by covetousness that the Bible tells us not to do. <laughs> but you know, uh, so an athlete signs a multi-million dollar contract, and, uh, and he gets uh, $50 million for smacking a ball around a field or something, right? And then somebody is going to grumble about that. And they'll say, I just don't think it's right that this ball player should, should make so much money. You know, and in the 1920s or whatever, they, they, said it's, they said it's not right that Babe Ruth could make so much money. And they asked him, they said, how come, is, do you think it's right that you make more money than the president? And uh, if, are you familiar with this story? 
And Babe Ruth just smiled and said, of course, I, I had a better year than the president. And, you know, it just makes, makes, to, uh, makes sense. But we have these ideas that there's something that's just right or not right. And uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, they say, well, we think that, uh, you know, we should pay the athletes less and so we can pay the school teachers more. School teachers deserve more. Uh, it's always so sad that teachers don't make as much money and, and so forth. Anyway, these are the, the social commentaries that, that fly. I mean, they just fly left and right and everyone's talking about them. And so on an opinion basis, depending on who I'm talking to, I'll just smile and say, okay, you got an opinion, that's great. Well, when we're talking about Scripture, though, this is not an opinion. This is the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit inspired it, and it's in our Bible. And it says, the life of luxury is not fitting for a fool. And so we realize there's a lot of things that are going on, but we realize that there is a God. God watches our culture. God watches our society. He's involved. He knows who the fools are. <laughs> okay, He knows who the wise uh, believers are. He also knows the different um, lifestyles. And uh, if, if it's a lifestyle of luxury, if it's a lifestyle of, of poverty, if it's a lifestyle of, of, uh, of, of humble sufficiency or, or what the case may be, uh, you know, what we would call tax brackets, you know, he knows where we fit in the economic scale of things. And, and where everybody is is where he wants us at this moment. He's in charge of these things. That's an important principle. And he knows what's fitting, what's proper, what's appropriate. Then with respect to the social, so that's lifestyle. That's the, the economic lifestyle. And, uh, and, and again, God's in charge of that. And if people are going to be critical of that and do whatever and, and so forth, uh, there's a lot of jokes and there's a lot of commentaries. There's a lot of, and, and I find it sad, but uh, the Joel Olstein gets uh, a lot of discussion because of the, the house he lives in and the the car he drives or the private jets or whatever, whatever. And people will, will make comment on, you know, it's not right for, you know, a, a pastor to have that kind of a, he shouldn't have that kind of a lifestyle. That's just, you know, uh, and, and for why they think that or why they say that or whatever. I don't know if they like purple cars or different things. They say it's just wrong that the, the pastor drives a purple car. He should be more humble. He should be more... Uh, uh, where he can relate to the people kind of a thing. Anyway, so we have opinions. Everybody has opinions. But when God puts it in the Scripture, we have to stop and say, oh, wait a minute. There are lifestyles that are fitting and not fitting, and he, and he puts foolishness on that scale. And to make that the criteria for what's fitting and not fitting. I think that's interesting. Then he talks about the social orders. When he says, for a slave to rule over princes... He says, that's just wrong. That's even more wrong than the fool living the lavish lifestyle. So if, uh, if the first part of verse 10 is wrong, the second part of verse 10 is even more wrong. And that's why we have the language of much less. It's much less fitting. It's even more unfitting for a slave to rule over princes. This also touches upon social orders. This uh, uh, touches upon uh, different people in society and where they rank in society relative to others in society in uh, in that way. And this is where we struggle a lot of times as Americans, as 21st century Americans, 
Uh, but we struggle because our nation was founded uh, specifically to remove ourselves from um, many of the, the classes of Europe that they were fleeing from. For example, we don't have nobility. We don't have titles of nobility. It's, it's written into our constitution that we will never have dukes and earls and, and barons and princes and kings and all of that. And it's, it's unconstitutional to even attempt to, to create such a thing in this nation. We don't have that. That we are free citizens under a constitutional republic. And, uh, and, and as free citizens, we have equal votes. That's a, it's, uh, it's a curious thing to me that if you could be the richest guy in the United States who's, uh, who's that, Jeff Bezos now, or Bill, I, they go back and forth between Bezos and Bill Gates and whoever. But, um, but the richest guy in this country has the same vote I have. We have one vote in the, uh, in the uh, political system that we have. And so social orders, we've got to kind of adapt these passages a little bit. We don't have slaves anymore, all right? We don't have princes. We don't have the czar. The Hebrew czar that speaks of the princes here would be the highest class of, of, uh, in, in the social order. And the slave is so low, he doesn't even own himself. He's the bottom of the social order. And every stage in between. And so when that gets turned upside down, when the social order gets turned upside down, your society is headed for trouble. That's why it says it's not fitting, it's even less fitting. When the social order is turned upside down. So how do we understand this in, in our nation today? How do we understand this in the United States, in Texas, in, in our city? Uh, because we don't have the stratification of slaves and Tsar and, and prince and so forth. But we do have normal and abnormal. We do have the, the system that God has presented. And so I'll just give you a couple examples. If it gets flipped upside down, if, um, if children are running the household instead of parents running the household, that's turned upside down. You see what I'm saying? Because God designed it for parents to raise the children. Parents should be the authority. Parents have to be the corrective in, uh, correcting influence. That's, that's what loving parents do. But if it's turned upside down, you're talking about social rebellion. Likewise, marriage, if that gets turned upside down. Likewise, employers and employees, if that gets turned upside down. The whole history of labor unions has been, by and large, rebellion against authority. It has been workers claiming to own the companies that they don't own. The owner owns the company. And when the worker says, no, no, we own it now, that's rebellion. And so when things get turned upside down, you have problems. And if it happens throughout the whole culture, what do you end up with? You end up with uh, communist rebellions. You end up with Bolsheviks. And you end up with, with what devastated most of the 20th century. 100 million dead, thanks to uh, socialism and communism in the 20th century. Didn't know I was going to get political today, did you? But this is a verse that's talking about when things are turned upside down. If a slave is ruling over a prince, that's upside down and culture's in trouble. Culture's in trouble. So these are the things that we look at there. Luxury is not fitting for a fool. This is propriety from God's perspective. What's right, what's proper? Well, what does God think? What does God think? That's the definition of what's right and what's proper. And if, uh, if society comes along and tries to redefine things, and if society wants to say, well, we think this is proper now, ask yourself, what does God think? Does God think it's proper now? Has he changed his definition of propriety? 
Did he write a new Bible? Because the Bible I'm reading says that's not proper. Money and even suffering have their fitting applications. Even less fitting for a slave to rule over princes. And we saw the example there after uh, Gideon's death with uh, Abimelech and just terrible when, uh, when he became king. All right, let's move on. Verse 11. It's a slow to, pa- uh, slow to anger verse. Proverbs 19.11 A man's discretion makes him slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. And so very practical, as most of the Proverbs are, it practically preaches itself, so why am I up here? Uh, we can read it, we can understand it. Uh, slow to anger is good, and we want to be slow to anger. But what is it that can cause us to be slow to anger? You know, what, what motivates us to be slow to anger? Some people can be slow to anger, but not really, they're just faking it. They're bottling up the anger. And they're just as fast as the other guy is, they're just not, exp- they're not uh, expressing it yet. But uh, it's not slow to anger if you're bottling it up and waiting to really explode uh, at the proper time. Uh, that's not slow to anger. And uh, really it's discretion, it's insight. It's biblical insight that motivates this. And so we, uh, it's the fourth time we've come across the slow to anger imperative, so I don't feel like I've got to spend the bulk of this hour really preaching it again. Uh, we saw it first of all in Proverbs 14, 29. We saw it in Proverbs 15 and Proverbs 16. So it's come up. All of these are in the uh, personal and public wisdom portion of the book. Proverbs 14, 29 says, He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. And so in that context, we can understand it for what it's saying there. And we can appreciate that. We can appreciate the understanding. We're supposed to gain wisdom and with our wisdom, acquire understanding. Understanding these terms and what they mean becomes important as well. But he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. So you're demonstrating either the, wi- the wisdom of God or folly, depending on your temper, quick-tempered or long-suffering. Proverbs fifteen eighteen: a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. And this is useful. If you've got a, a church and you've got uh, a Yodia and Syneke circumstance, a couple of ladies that can't get along, um, you know, and Paul was urging uh, the true companion to go and try to resolve things between those two women in Philippi. Uh, it's pretty clear that Paul didn't select a hot-tempered man to go get in the middle of that. <laughs> you know, if you're trying to reconcile two brothers or two sisters or two people that are, you know, you're not going to take the biggest hot head in the church and say, well, get in the middle of that, will you, and straighten them both out. That's going to just add fuel to the fire. No, you want the slow-tempered man. You want the, uh, as it says here in, in 1518, um, the slow to anger who can calm a dispute, see, where he's not going to take things all personally and make make matters worse. Proverbs 16.32. This is one of those gray head passages we were talking about earlier. 16.31 says, A gray head is a crown of glory. It is found in the way of righteousness. So all the gray-haired people this morning can enjoy that. Verse 32, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. And this is in God's perspective. Again, ask yourself, what's God's view on this? 
you know, human history books will exalt conquerors. Human history books will record, you know, who captured a city and they'll record, um, you know, that uh, Patton beat Montgomery to Messina. You know, they'll, they'll record other things like that. They'll record uh, different conquerors of different cities and uh, the victories that they won on the battlefield and uh, different warriors that get praised, uh, you know, better than the mighty. We have halls of fame for the great football players, baseball players, basketball players. Probably hockey has one too, but who cares? They've got halls of fame and they, they celebrate mighty achievements. Well, where's the museum that celebrates the uh, slow to anger? He who rules his spirit. Well, it's in heaven, I'll tell you that. Because those heroes are going to receive well done, good and faithful servant. And they're going to be greatly rewarded. And uh, the humble, the patient, the slow to anger, the full of wisdom people. This world won't celebrate them with uh, halls of fame or museum or anything like that, but God does. All right, so we've had four of them. Proverbs features the slow to anger idea four different times. Proverbs also features the insight principle six different times. But this is the one place where those ten passages intersect. This is the one place where those ten passages intersect. Because there's four slow to anger passages, there's six insight passages. This is the only one that intersects the two. So we're dealing in this verse with the intersection of insight with slow to anger. And of all the slow to anger passages, you know, Proverbs 14 said it was great to be slow to anger. Proverbs 15 said it was great, you can resolve problems. Chapter 16 says it's great to be slow to anger. And uh, it's, uh, it's even better than being mighty. But none of those tell you how to do it. None of those tell you really the, the mechanism for getting there. 19 does. 19.11 tells you that it's the insight. It's the insight that produces this. It is a man's insight or discretion. A man's insight makes him slow to anger. So we want to be believers of insight. We want to be perceptive. We want to be perceptive about what we're looking at. That's what insight is about. Or if you prefer, discretion. And the, uh, the expression here, we've, we've had it before. The, the term for insight we've had in chapter 3, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 16. We've had it several times before. We'll have one more of them coming up in chapter 23. Let's look at Proverbs 3, 4. And you'll see what I mean about insight. This might be a good time also to discuss the different types of uh, learning that we have in the Bible. But Proverbs 3, 4, and, and the youngest of children can get this. If you get saved at a young age, you start learning Bible verses at a young age, you start getting saturated in the Word of God from your youth. As it says here in Proverbs 3, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. You'll have a much better lifestyle in the Word of God than without the Word of God. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God 
and man. And so as we're looking at this, um, finding favor and good repute in the sight of God and man, we're finding that we're having the insight that he's uh, providing for us here. Insight. We want understanding, we want wisdom, we want insight. And so you can think of those as as layers. You can think of those as uh, with your wisdom you want to have understanding. So now we have, so actually we start with knowledge. You can't even get wisdom without knowledge. (laughs) So start with knowledge. You got to know what the Bible says. And then wisdom. You got to know how to use it. You got to know how to apply what it says in your life. A lot of people know a lot of things, but they have no wisdom at all because they're not making use of it. They're not applying it in their life. They've got knowledge, but they don't have wisdom. Then there's understanding. That's even beyond wisdom. It says, with your wisdom, acquire understanding. And so now not only do you know how to put it into practice, you know how to use it in your life, you actually have the full understanding of the plan of God, what the purpose is for this test, how other people are impacted by it. You have a greater understanding for uh, the things that you're doing. Then beyond understanding, what could possibly be beyond understanding? It's called insight. It's the perception of insight to be able to to look at other things, to look at situations around you, and to be able to place them in a divine viewpoint perspective. You have insight. And now you're going beyond just this passage means this. Now you're able to actually productively make applications, secondary applications and additional applications. You're able to take something that's specific in the Bible and then adapt it for something the Bible doesn't even talk about. See, the Bible doesn't talk about uh, uh, cars. It doesn't talk about, uh, you know, uh, uh, purple Dodge Chargers, right? It doesn't talk about cars. So, so how do I make my decisions then? See, how do I know between, you know, different vehicles or different choices that I have to make? different employment options, different things. Well, when the Bible doesn't speak directly to the object, it can speak indirectly to it in a lot of ways. So we can learn principles of wisdom. We're learning about um, biblical economics. We're learning about um, uh, not living beyond your means. You're learning about living your lifestyle as God has has led you. And so you're not going into debt and you're not uh, foolish about how you're, in other words, you're not mortgaging your your everything so you can go get that Lamborghini. <laughs> but you understand what this is insight. And you're not picking out a verse. There's you search the Bible all you want. There's no verse that says uh Lamborghinis are bad and and uh purple chargers are, are perfect. You, there's no verse that says that. But what you're doing is you're you're developing insight. And the insight you're developing is to to see what you're seeing there with divine viewpoint, with God's perspective on things. Another insight use that's in uh, Proverbs 12, 8. A man will be praised according to his insight, but the one of perverse mind will be despised. And we discussed that as well. I think there's a this is a prophecy of the future. A man will be praised. If it doesn't happen now, It's going to happen when we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But a man will be praised according to his insight. In 13.15, good understanding produces favor. That's insight. 
but the way of the treacherous is hard. Producing favor. This is not just the grace of God that God supplies. This is our own favor that we're producing. The graciousness and the favor that we can produce if we have insight. See? And so we're looking at one another. We're finding realms of service and we're observing a a brother that's struggling in in a test. And and God gives us that insight whereby we can uh, apply the wisdom from the Word of God, we can come alongside, we can encourage them, and we can minister to them in such a way that it produces favor. It manufactures favor, it generates favor as as a byproduct of the insight that God blesses us with on these on these testing occasions. All right different ways we can handle insight. Chapter 16 and verse 22 was the most recent that we had prior to this chapter. And unfortunately it's not translated insight in this verse, it's translated understanding. That's why I wish we had more consistency uh, in in the Hebrew language on this, that we keep the understanding terminology distinct from the insight terminology. Because when we end up crisscrossing and, and not uh, lining them up correctly, I think we, we can get lost in it. So cross off understanding there and put down insight. It's a fountain of life to the one who has it. But the discipline of fools is folly. And God gives us over to our own folly as a means of discipline, and who wants that? <laughs> who wants that? Anyway, with six uses of insight in the book of Proverbs and four uses of slow to anger in Proverbs, there's ten different places in Proverbs that touch upon these two themes, but this is the one and only place where those two intersect, where we have both the insight vocabulary and the slow to anger vocabulary in the same verse, and that's Proverbs uh, 19.11. Proverbs 19.11b then goes on to say, it is a human glory to reflect God's glory. So not only, the Bible doesn't just say, hey, you know, it's a good idea if you hold your temper, <laughs> okay? It doesn't just say that, you know, you'll be a better person if you weren't such a hothead. And it's not just a helpful hint. It actually produces, it actually is edifying, and it is glorifying. It is glorifying to be slow of temper. It is glorifying to be, because you really at this point are reflecting the nature of God, so in Proverbs 19.11b, what does it say? It says, uh, he, um, it is his glory to overlook a transgression. So do you see how part B comes out of part A? That, that they're not contradictory ideas at all, they're complementary ideas. They're not purely synonymous, but they are. it's called synthetic because the second one comes out of the first one. So if you are slow to anger, then you're going to have that kind of insight whereby you can um, do what God does. And it's a glory. It is His glory to overlook a transgression. And we've seen this before too. This is not excusing sin. This is not winking at sin. This is not um, uh, excusing evil for what it's doing or, or validating people for what they're doing when they're doing evil things. But in graciousness, you are for this moment, you are not harping on something that, you, that you're not you know, freaking out like a legalist and making a big deal out of something. 
okay? You're actually willing to let something go, especially when the very sin is against you. Someone has slandered you. Someone has attacked you. Someone has done said something very hurtful to you. And you decide, you know what? I'm going to leave that in the judgment function of the justice of God. I'm going to I'm going to refer this case up to the Supreme Court of Heaven and I'm going to quit worrying about it. And so I'm going to choose to overlook. That means I'm going to look past it. Isn't that what God did when He saved the Old Testament saints in the atonement where He covered their sin and He looked past it? He was looking forward to the cross and said, there's a day that's coming, I'm going to send my son to die on the cross. And those sins are going to be paid for. And so God would overlook because He was looking forward to the cross. What do we do when we overlook? What are we looking forward to? Are we looking forward to a future opportunity where maybe in our graciousness we might have the opportunity to win a brother? Might have an opportunity to bear fruit? Might have an opportunity to say, lead an unbeliever to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? When we turn to Micah 7.18, we're going to see that this is what God Himself does. Now Micah's kind of hard to find. It's one of the minor prophets. Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. There we go. Micah chapter 7. It's the last chapter of Micah. And we learn that this is what God does. Verse 18 says, Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of His possession? Isn't this interesting? He preserves a remnant. He's a God of grace. He pardons and He passes over. I think those concepts are important. Forgiveness is important. We're supposed to forgive others as we ourselves have been forgiven. And if we're slow to anger, maybe the best benefit to being slow to anger is we can stop and we can think about what comes next. We can stop and we can think about what God has done for us. And so rather than just fly off the handle and attack the person, I'm going to say, well, wait a minute. Yeah, that that was awful, it was sinful, but Jesus died for that on the cross. And since I've been forgiven so much, should I not forgive others? And so I want to be mindful of these things like God is. He's the God who pardons iniquity. He's the God who passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of His possession. He does not retain His anger forever because He delights in chesed, unchanging love. He delights in grace. He's the grace it's the grace of God. And so these are the things that we want to reflect. Proverbs 19.11 is reflecting God's very activity here in Micah 7.18. Does not retain His anger forever because He delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He's looking forward to the day that they will repent. Looking forward to the day that they will. And in our case, if we're overlooking a matter, then we can look forward to the day that maybe that person will repent and they'll come back to us and they'll apologize or they'll say you know what I was really out of line when I tore you up like, like that and, and maybe they'll ask for forgiveness and maybe we'll have a chance to bear fruit and say you know I forgive you 
Uh, yeah, I figured there was something going on in your life. I was praying for you. I didn't know what it was. And because you had that slow to anger attitude and you were able to look over a transgression, you may bear fruit in the long run down the road. And what a joy is that? See, I had the opportunity to lead a man to the Lord that died of AIDS and uh, he's, in, he's in heaven now, thank God. Um, and I suspect he was actually saved in his childhood, to be honest. But, um, but he was a practicing homosexual and he was not living a biblical lifestyle and he was, he was as flaming as it gets. And, uh, and he was my boss in the sheriff's department. And, and he knew I was a preacher, but I never preached at him and I never condemned him and I never you know, stomped my foot or slammed my Bible or went in that. And then uh, down the road when he knew he was terminal, he, he had some Bible questions for me. And he, he, he said, I never met a Christian like you before. <laughs> okay, whatever that means. And uh, he wanted to know, he said, am I going to go to hell because I'm a homosexual? And I had a chance to say, well, here's what the Bible says. If you have Christ, you have eternal life. If you don't have Christ, you don't have eternal life. And that's what it comes down to. Anyway, I, I don't know. We'll find out when we get there. I, my suspicion is, as I just reinforced what he knew from his childhood, I think he got saved as a child. If not, he got saved there. Either way, he's in heaven right now, which is the best, the best part of the story. So um, overlooking, it's not excusing, and it's not, it's not validating. It's not saying, woohoo, I'm glad you're such a sinner, keep doing more of it. No. That's not what it is to overlook a transgression. It's still a transgression. Even though you've overlooked it, it remains a transgression. Because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. This is Micah 7, 19. This is where uh, that song comes from that that Jacob sings. I love in the depths of the sea. He will tread all our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Isn't that beautiful? Our sins are cast into the depths of the sea. How deep is that? That's so deep we're not getting them back. They're never coming back. They're behind us back. They're sealed in a bag. They're, they're thrown as far as the east is from the west and they are plunged into the depths of the sea. best part about sins being in the depths of the sea is in the new heavens and the new earth there is no more sea. <laughs> so combine those ideas and, and tell me how you're going to get your sins back when, uh, when you're saved. When you've been forgiven, what a what a joy! All right, Proverbs nineteen twelve. Don't uh, don't make the government mad at you. <laughs> okay, you can't fight city hall. The king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion. Now we have to adapt this. We don't have a king. We have a president. We have a governor, we have a mayor, we have political uh, authority that's over us. And Romans Romans 13 tells us to be in subjection to the ruling authorities that are over us. And so uh, we may not have a king, but we do have a president. Do you want the president mad at you? We have a governor. Do we want the governor mad at you? I mean, honestly, I don't want anybody mad at me. But it's worse if it's the king. It's worse if it's somebody that has authority over me whose judgments and rulings and political actions impact my life. 
Yeah, that's a big deal. And so uh, we have the, the principle spelled out here. That's one we've seen before. So his wrath is like the roaring of a lion that should send shivers down your spine and terrify you and make you want to be elsewhere. And, uh, but his favor is like dew on the grass. And that's a good thing. Okay, Dew is positive in Scripture. So dew on the grass. Do you want the king's wrath or do you want the king's favor? Well, as a rule of thumb, you want the king's favor. Okay? doesn't mean that we uh, compromise our values or we become uh, you know, swamp creatures in order to, to uh, artificially uh, make this happen. You know, Daniel got the king's favor and he stuck to his guns. He lived his faith. He was going to eat vegetables only and not eat the, the king's choice meat. But he was in subjection to the king and the king's servant and the, the, uh, the situation there. Anyway, we've seen this before. This came up in uh, chapter 16. We're going to see it again. It's going to come back again and again in Proverbs 20 and Proverbs 28. It's not a good thing when the king is angry. And even if he's not angry at you, if he's just angry in general, wait a minute. Because angry, angry people make rash decisions. And angry kings make rash decisions that, that damage their nation that can have really long-term effects on the, the population base of a nation. All right. Let me just turn to Daniel 1 and illustrate with the thing I was just talking about. In the book of Daniel, this is when uh, Daniel is kidnapped from Jerusalem. He is of the descendants of David. He is of the royal family. As are uh, these other youths that are mentioned. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are their Hebrew names. We know them, usually it's more common to call them by their Babylonian names of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. But anyway, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, along with Daniel, these four. And they're hostages Nebuchadnezzar has taken them hostage so that he can guarantee the good behavior of King uh, Jehoiakim in Jerusalem. And uh, in doing this, uh, Isaiah and some of the prophecies indicate that they were castrated, that they were made eunuchs, and it's, it's a harsh life to be a hostage. And then, uh, and then he puts them to school where they can be brainwashed. Just be advised, schools are fruitful places to brainwash the youth. And so they're going to be given Babylonian names. And they're going to be brought up in Babylonian customs and culture. They're going to be uh, adjusted to Babylonian diets. The meat that's sacrificed to idols and the wine that's a part of the rituals. And Daniel decided that he wasn't going to do it. And his friends joined him. Verse 8 says, Daniel made up his mind he would not defile himself with a king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. And he's in a tough spot. He doesn't want to make them mad. Doesn't want to make the king mad. Doesn't want to make this commander of the officials mad. But he doesn't want to defile himself in his faith before the Lord. And so we, we read in verse 9, God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. 
So he didn't get angry. He was given favor. Favor in the eyes of this official. By the end of the chapter, he's going to find favor in the eyes of the king. And so each step of the way, he's finding favor. But he's, he's praying about it. He's being, he has insight, what we're talking about this morning, the insight, how to apply the word of God with wisdom and with insight. So um, he listened to them in the matter. He tested them for 10 days when their appearance seemed better than, and fatter than the other youths who had been eating the, the king's choice food, he said, all right, we can, we can continue this. He tried it on a trial basis and said, all right, we'll make it permanent. And then they graduated top of their class. <laughs> they, they, they passed with flying colors. And uh, it says in verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. And they're going to graduate here at the top of their class and they're going to get favor in the eyes of the king. This is a good passage too to think about in terms of uh, is God involved in our education? Is God involved in our secular career? Yes, he is. And, and he wants his servants to be his testimonies wherever he places them. And so uh, not just in Bible knowledge, in all kinds of knowledge. So, um, verse 18 says, at the end of the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. So you've got favor in the the Rab Saris, the commander of the officials. Now, are they going to find favor in the eyes of the king? Or are they going to make him mad? So the king talked with them, and out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were number one, two, three, and four in their class. So they entered the king's personal service. And as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who are in all his realm. You realize that? Not only their peers, their fellow graduates, but the, the men that are already in government service, those that are already been serving, he, he, they're ten times better than his existing staff. And so this is the, the favor here. Now, um, we won't take the time this morning, but read the next couple of chapters. You know, you'll find out when the king gets mad, it might end up in a fiery furnace <laughs> or a lion's den. Or, uh, or some other bad thing happens when the king gets mad. So we want to find favor, not anger, in the eyes of those that are in authority over us. Anyway, we've seen it before, we'll see it again. Let's uh, look at the next couple of verses. Proverbs 19, verses uh, 13 and 14. A foolish son is destruction to his father, and the contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. All right. House and wealth are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. We've got a tandem of verses here, and it's interesting. Two family proverbs, and they're a little bit awkward by themselves. You put them together, I think you get a a nice... um, uh, quadratic equation, if you will. 
Um, because really, in verse 13, you've got the father-son dynamic, and then you've got the husband-wife dynamic in the same verse, which seems to be a little awkward. We don't have that in other places. So a foolish son is destruction to his father, and the contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. So that's two problems in the same verse for the, for the same man that's both a husband and a father. That he's got a uh, contentious wife and he's got a foolish son. So it's like, this guy can't catch a break. <laughs> Alright? Then in verse 14, we have, again, the father-son dynamic, or at least the, the generations. House and wealth are an inheritance from fathers. So when, uh, when your father passes and the, the property is distributed, that's vertical. That's going from one generation to the next. But then it says, a prudent wife is from the Lord. There's marriage again. There's back in, into that. So it's, it's kind of interesting the way this is structured. I don't know if there's anything else in Proverbs that's quite like it. We have two family Proverbs that span adjacent generations illustrating, for better or for worse, <laughs> okay, the contentious wife, that's the worst part. Um, but the uh, prudent wife, that's the better part. So you got for better or for worse right here in these two verses. But also emphasizing the Lord's personal involvement for blessing. That God's involved. Like God's got a plan or something. You ever think about that? And so it's, uh, it's a neat thing to remind ourselves on related to the hand of God and what He does for our blessing. Even in the things that we think are um, our business, not His, what's that? Nothing. In all your ways acknowledge Him, He will direct your steps. In all your ways, not just most of your ways, not just your, uh, your spiritual life, everything. Your spiritual life, your temporal life, your work life, your family life, your marriage life, your sex life, your, I mean, whatever the kind of lives do you have, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. In some respects, this is even more vital today because in the Old Testament times, you didn't, uh, typically, you didn't get to choose your wife. The arranged marriage would just happen to you. Mom and dad came to, uh, your dad came to an agreement with another dad somewhere. And it was, uh, it was advantageous for the family, for the clan, for the tribe. It was advantageous. The, the family and clan had a particular uh, objective, business need or other kind of thing. And, and it worked out well to make this match so that not only does, is, does the son have a, a bride that's provided for him, and, uh, but the families, the clans get to be connected in a way that's, that's advantageous for whatever else they have going on, okay? And, you know, uh, maybe you get a particular clan that's great with a certain kind of wool, and so they need a certain kind of sheep, and uh, there's another clan over there that's got exactly the right kind of sheep, that's going to have exactly the right kind of wool, that's going to go exactly with our kind of business here. And uh, you know what? We can link these families together. We can link these clans together by marriage if, uh, 
if this man agrees to take uh, to take his daughter and give to to my son as as my wife, as his wife, and that seems, I mean, f- from a 21st century American perspective, <laughs> wow, they really did that back then. Yes, they did that for most of human history. Um, and and it's curious how they learned to love one another, even though they were strangers until they were married. Because they're honoring their family, they're honoring their clan, they're honoring the Lord. And they're learning to love one another in this, uh, in this context. So um, a prudent wife is from the Lord. That's the, that's the principle that allows them to rest with faith rest. And they're not going to grumble. They're not going to blame dad for the bad match that he made. <laughs> because it's the Lord who's involved. And we thank the Lord for His grace provisions. Anyway, these are the things I think uh, if you forget that the Lord's involved, I'm going to start with Psalm 127 and then we'll work our way through those Proverbs that you see on, this, on the screen. But in Psalm 127, remember what it says? The psalm that gets quoted a lot when, because uh, it's the full quiver song about having lots of kids. But it's written by Solomon. Psalm 127 is written by Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. So this tells you that in your family life and in your political life, the Lord is involved. And he better be involved. And you better be aware of his involvement. And you better be sub- subject to the Lord and the Lord's involvement. In, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And so um, issues in your marriage, take it to the Lord. Issues with your kids, take it to the Lord. Issues in, uh, at the workplace, take it to the Lord. Issues in politics, take it to the Lord. Because if you leave him out, if you exclude God... Like, like uh, you know, people that compromise on doctrine for their career advancement. And they say, well, you know, I just need two or three really good years. I'll get my, my business on solid footing. Then uh, once, once it's off the ground, once it's up and running, then, then I'll have more time for church. Then I'll, I'll get more serious about my Bible study. i get more serious about my scripture memory. That's exactly backwards, upside down. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Unless the Lord builds the house, the labor in vain who build it. Maybe you do build some business empire, but you did it on your own. You did it without the Lord. How's He going to bless that? It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for He gives to His beloved even in His sleep. We get this human viewpoint that says if I just work harder, put in more hours, sacrifice sleep, um, that with, if I work harder, longer, well, wait a minute, you've already off the rails because you left the Lord in verse 1. Now you're really off the rails. You're trying to pour more human effort into something that's already absent the Lord. Why don't you put the Lord back into your, what you're doing and then faith rest. Get a good night's sleep. <laughs> Thank the Lord for His rest. Thank the Lord for His work. Thank the Lord for all that He provides for you day by day. 
And then raise up your children to also fear the Lord. To also fear the Lord. Give them the perspective that they're going to need so that they'll have that when they enter their adult capacity. Arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. The best part about having arrows in your quiver is those are the ones you haven't shot yet. <laughs> All right. Because uh, once you shoot them, they're gone and they're no longer in your quiver. All right. Let's go back to Proverbs 3. We'll try to tie this together. Proverbs 3. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He will make your path straight. And this is, uh, this is how you answer the issues. You've got a foolish son and he's a grief. You have a contentious wife and she's a constant dripping. Take it to the Lord. In all your ways acknowledge Him. Proverbs 18.22 He who finds a wife finds a good thing. It obtains favor from the Lord. God's involved. God is absolutely involved in our personal life, in our political life, in our public life. Acknowledge Him. And be willing to accept the answers. When He answers, yes. When He answers, no. Sometimes the answer no is the harder one because then you've got to humble and say, okay, Lord, what do you got for me that's better? <laughs> you know, I wanted this. What do you got for me that's better? And then you can, uh, afterwards you can celebrate. Afterwards you can be like Garth Brooks and singing unanswered prayer. And thank God for those unanswered prayers. Because you're looking back at something you thought you wanted all those years ago and you realize, no, 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 no. Didn't, I didn't need that, didn't want that, God knew better, this is what I needed. And you thank God for the, for the wife He provided. Uh, finally, Proverbs 31.10 And I know, here we are. This is our 257th hour in the book of Proverbs. And some of you signed up hoping that we could get right to chapter 31 right away. <laughs> we'll get there. It's coming. An excellent wife, who can find? Who can find? You know? And if you think, if you think you're going to find it, you think you know what you're doing, God can find. How about that? The answer is God can find. And so instead of picking out what you think you want, in all your ways acknowledge Him, He will direct your steps. And let Him give you the excellent wife, the woman of virtue. Her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Anyway, i got an entire poem here. This is a, a Hebrew acrostic poem where every verse is, has the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Aleph, Baith, Gimel, Daleth, Hey, Wow, Zion. You work your way through the Hebrew alphabet verse by verse by verse here, starting with verse 10 in an acrostic alphabet. And so very, if, you, if you're a little Hebrew girl in the Old Testament, very memorizable because you're memorizing the verses based upon the alphabetical order that the verses come in. And so 
little Hebrew girls could uh, could learn this and memorize this as uh, of course English speaking girls can memorize it too it's just harder <laughs> it's not alphabet it's not alphabetical if uh, if you choose to memorize these verses as well all right well father i thank you for this morning and i thank you for these verses and they're pretty straightforward and they pretty much preach themselves but father we thank you for the blessings of being able to to look a little deeper and to see the full applications of things father we want to live our lives according to Proverbs, according to your wisdom. We want wisdom, we want understanding, we want insight, and we desperately need it, Father, because our culture is off the rails. Our culture is is calling good evil and evil good. Our culture uh, is promoting wickedness in the guise of goodness. They, they give it a label of goodness, but it is, it is an abomination in your sight, Father. So I pray that we can stand uh, as Daniel did, we can take our stand and not defile ourselves. We can live according to our biblical convictions. And if there's a price to pay, so be it, Father. You remain faithful. And I pray that uh, whether it's a fiery furnace or a lion's den or whether we find favor in the eyes of the king, either way, we stay faithful to what your word says. And I thank you for that. So thank you for writing the book of Proverbs. It's so eternal, applicable, and I thank you that we can uh, glean these things here today. I thank you, Father, and I praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.